Hello, hello, hello. This is Adam Hyatt, and you are listening to Troy Stories, new podcast, new guest, Antonio Morales of The Athletic. Antonio, what up? Nothing much, man. How's it going? I'm good. I mean, we were just together right now. You know how I'm doing. Don't ask me that now. Uh, really happy to have you, Antonio. We've done a couple shows already on the new podcast, Troy Stories, and those featured Taylor Mays, who wanted to be involved in this, but he's a little bit busy right now. I hope to have him back uh, maybe next week. Definitely going to keep working with Taylor, but uh, Antonio will have to do. And uh, actually, perfect timing because there's a lot of news going on, a lot that we've had to track and, and write about and try to put in the context. You might have heard that USC no longer has an athletic director. And it feels like Christmas came early to this university. I mean, that's the response that I've been getting. I think the surprising thing was... The timing, I don't think anybody was surprised by the result of how it all played out. I yeah. just think the more the more surprising thing was the timing and when it happened, it was after a big win against Stanford when when Swan's decision to keep Clay actually wasn't looking that bad. Yeah. <laughs> and sure, uh, for for a few hours. Yeah, like people like kinda started tolerating it a little bit. Yeah. Um, but obviously he resigned on Monday. Yeah, weird that he would resign after that big win. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, but I don't get it. Like like we've all known, I think it was pretty much, you know Yeah. People expected him to not last through the football season. Right. I mean we'll get to Clay later, but with Lynn Swan from what I understand, this is coming. I don't know why it came this particular Monday. I know that given all the different FBI investigations and scandals and different affairs that were that were taking place, uh, I know that President Fult wanted to do her homework mm-hmm. and, and wanted to uh, make a sound decision you know, based on her own findings beyond just what had been reported. And she's only been here for two plus months. Yeah. So this isn't that late in the game. I mean, it's pretty quick. Uh, I, I understand that she wouldn't want to come in July and then change her athletic director a week right. later. Yeah, right away. Yeah. But, uh, but it happened. Uh, I don't think people even care so much about the, the why. They were just ready for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just that it happened. Yeah, that it happened. And now... There are all these different scenarios and possibilities uh, involving both the athletic director, the football program. Uh, I reported today at my new home. I'm, I'm working with Sports Illustrated now, so you can find all that stuff. Right now, the domain is actually mavensports.io slash USC, but it's supposed to be moved to an SI domain in time. But uh, I have a report today that... Mark Jackson, a former assistant athletic director here at USC, uh, who actually joined the program initially with Pete Carroll's staff back in 2001, but went to the administrative side shortly after that, went to Syracuse, and was doing a lot of the same stuff there, actually at a higher level, and then ended up back at USC and was a senior associate athletic director at USC under Hayden. Well, he's a front runner for this job at USC. Uh, definitely qualified from the sense of what he's been doing, but not popular. 
because of the fact that he, he merely worked here. And had he not worked here, I think he'd be viewed for, through an entirely different lens. But because of his association with the school, there's been a lot of backlash to to this development. And the fans, I think they just want a clean break from anything that happened previously right now. So I think that's probably the source of their frustration. Um, anything that had to do with basically this decade, they kind of, right. they kind of, right. they kind of want to do away with because this decade has been... Yeah, even been though he's hurt. your Carol guy. Yeah. And, he, and, and I'm told that Carol is someone who's lobbying for him. And but Carol also lobbied for Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, so there's that right. kind of that kind of uh, sure. you know after effect too. Um, so that's why the fans you know are probably frustrated with it. But I think that was a name that many people kind of threw out there initially, mm-hmm. um, just because he had that connection. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that as well, uh, but that's not what I'm reporting here. I'm actually reporting that you know from my sources. Uh, within uh, Heritage and elsewhere that they've been in deep discussions with Mark Jackson and it's something that they've actually been considering for some time because they knew that they were going to part ways with Lynn and I guess there's a lot of traction here now with Jackson but this isn't new. Uh, mm-hmm. He's someone that's been on their radar that they've been weighing for some time. Uh, I was also told that they did approach North Carolina Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham, and he basically said, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah, I mean, that's the only track record Fulton really has as an AD. She'd never hired one. She's never fired one. Um, she inherited Cunningham at, at North Carolina, so the fact that she went after him when it I don't think that's a huge surprise just because that's you know her track record and that's who she knows that's who, who she's familiar with and yeah when you're starting new at a, at a place you're going to want allies and people you're familiar with um, so it makes sense if she did go you know after Bubba Cunningham and try to get him you know in office here there are obviously other names that are out there being thrown out there they're probably in the mix to some degree are there any in particular that you know that you think uh, would be a good fit or you could just believe what it would happen no I know people some people are like Christel Conte but I don't think he'd leave Texas for this job he's doing a great job in Texas uh, mm-hmm. when we went to Austin last year I thought that was a great environment for what they were, what they were doing for the football stadium and what they were doing on game days uh, but I don't think that'd be realistic he'd come here I know somebody threw that out to me um on Monday, but I was like, I don't think that's realistic. That he'd come here, and I, you know, Mark Jackson seemed a lot more realistic than than that. Yeah, we'll, we'll see here. I mean, it's obviously fluid. Uh, I'm just kind of reporting the latest that that I know that uh, they've they've been talking to him. They've been, there's mutual interest there, and there's a lot of support for Jackson. Uh, you know, coming from people that know him, and. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he were the next USC athletic director. Uh, now, I think what is uh, probably equally compelling, at least for me, is what happens next with the football coach and how he's impacted. Um, so Clay made a comment uh, just what Tuesday. Yeah. About about Swan and about Folt and and basically said that you know that Folt gave her gave him her full support. But prior to ma- making that point, 
he said that you know that you know she's on a search for a new athletic director, and our job is to win. Mm-hmm. And then I wasn't even we hadn't even asked him anything yet. It was part of his opening statement. Yeah, I found that surprising too. Right? Like, yeah, he, like he knows what he needs to do. We have to win. Yeah. And I mean, we all know that to an extent, but how much? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, because we don't know what false expectations are. We don't know what the new '80s expectations are. We we barely knew what Lins were. Yeah. So, I'm told that, in all likelihood, they're going to move on from Clay. And I don't know what he could do to keep his job. Now, of course, if they were to run the table, then you're not making a coaching change. That's not happening, though. Uh, They could end up having a very good year. I feel like the possibilities are, are, are vast with what could happen this season. In fact, I think the floor has been raised from from what I believe it was coming into the year. I think so, too, because I initially thought 7-5. and five, Yeah, me too. And, and then when JT got hurt, I was like 6-6. Six and six. I think the, Yeah, you went down. Was, yeah, I dropped down a game. Yeah. Then I saw Keaton play. I was like, oh, I, think, I don't know what to put the, <laughs> yeah. what to put the record at now because I think especially since Washington lost to Cal, right? that has me thinking about things, too. It would just look so, I mean, Oregon hasn't been particularly impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Oregon played Nevada, but like I don't really yeah. put too much stock into that game. So... Right now, I don't even. I, I think I'm more optimistic about their chances now than I was before. But I think a lot. I think we'll figure out a lot during the Utah game. Yeah, or even this week. I mean, they got to go on the road and, and play a a, a a BYU team that, with the altitude and just some older kids and bigger kids, you know, Stanford's D line didn't really, uh, I think, bring the pressure that. Yeah. I just, I just rewatched that game yesterday. Fresno State didn't really. No. Either. They they really only rushed four guys the whole time. And no, I, I got the, yeah. USC line did really well, mm-hmm. and I mean outside of the the blitz that, that got to JT, mm-hmm. you know they weren't really able to to get home either. Uh, with BYU, that's definitely something that talking to the, the offense on Tuesday, they were very uh, aware of, and, and they, they you know they they felt like that could be a, a bigger better challenge. Yeah, I think. It's going to be interesting because JT got to a, a rhythm on Saturday against Stanford, and I think he completed 12 passes in a row. Keaton. No, Keaton, yeah. Keaton, he, he completed 12 passes in a row, and Stanford never really knocked him out of the rhythm. They didn't really try to do anything to knock him out of the rhythm. Yeah. It was just rush four and drop seven, and he found holes in the defense. Right. So I asked Drevno yesterday, I was like, do you think they're going to pressure you guys more? He's like, really? I don't know. He was like, as an offensive line coach, I think – they're going to bring pressure on every play. And right. I, I asked Austin Jackson, and he's like, I, I think they will just to try to, you know, throw Keaton sure. off and get him off rhythm. Um, so I want to see, you know, BYU and teams down the road, how they're going to play him and how they're going to try to kind of disrupt yeah, disrupt his rhythm and what he does. Since he's a young quarterback, you, I think you always assume he's, teams are going to throw pressure at him. Yeah, well, his style, I think – really lends himself well to the air raid. That's something I wrote about on Tuesday as well, is that because um, he's, he's willi- he has a willingness to get rid of the ball quickly and he's strong, he can kind of get that, that throw out and even, you know, uh, you know, even to the, to the far side and outside the numbers, uh, wherever he needs to get it. But he doesn't need a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine that he probably frustrated Stanford and even surprised them with how on time he was and how decisive he was. Yeah, it's, it's very impressive how decisive he was. I, I think we saw that in spring and in camp. This guy makes quick decisions and he gets rid of the ball quickly. Um, 
it's almost, almost kind of like Sam, you know, in terms of how decisive Sam was. Yeah. Um, you don't see Keaton make a lot of, like, I feel like you don't see him make a lot of progressions, like, mm-hmm. in terms of, like, he's looking down one guy and looking no. the next. I think he just knows where he wants to go kind of right away. And even if he stares it down, it almost doesn't matter because his arm's so good. Yeah. And he's able to get rid of the ball quickly. And we saw that on Saturday, I feel like. Well, the touchdown to Amon Ra was, according to Harold, the first read. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, what about that one? That, that play, that had to be, what, the second or third read, right? Yeah. And he laughed, like, no, no, that, that was for Amon Ra. And then I watched a replay after talking to him, and I saw that, oh, that, that's probably true. Yeah, because yeah. I know we can't see everything from the, like, that view, that sure. TV view, but you don't see him, like, moving his head a ton. It just... So here's where I want to go. Yeah. And I'm just going to get it out really fast. And the DB's not going to be able to get yeah. there in time. What they were doing so well is that they, you know, they were, they're, they're mixing in the run. And they were they had hit him with a couple of short passes, one to Maneer and mm-hmm. one to Devin Williams, who mm-hmm. we definitely will talk about <laughs> later. Uh, and, and, and also with two runs. And I believe that was like the fifth play. Yeah. Or maybe three runs. Yeah. And they were, and they were all RPOs. Mm-hmm. But uh, because... Because Keaton is, is patient and and really unselfish, and, and not just looking to to get his on every play, you know you can kind of hit him with with the short stuff and then boom, get him downfield. Yeah, I talked to Kurt Warner for a story last month, and he was telling me about Keaton's really good with the intermediate stuff too, um, and you see him kind of take advantage of some of those areas, um, you know, the sideline throw to. To Bond. To Bond. Oh my really gosh. Impressive. And the one to Pittman was two in the third quarter. Sure. I'm going the other direction. Uh, but some of those throws, man, have been just ridiculous. It's yeah. like, like the Almond Ra throw, the, the, the Bond throw on the sideline, the Pittman throw on the sideline. It's just kind of it was an incredible display that he put on inside there. Yeah, I think with this receiving core and his arm, if he has any amount of time, he's going to beat you. It'll be a matter of whether they can get pressure, like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But even then, I, he seems to be ready to get rid of it soon, ready to quickly. And, and that's where I thought he actually was a, a, a pretty notable upgrade from JT, who, yeah, I mean, widely praised for being very smart, but very deliberate and, and really wants to kind of take his time and he wants to, to figure things out pre-snap and then post-snap. And this offense is asking him to... to you know, cannot work that way. Yeah, there was two things. One was, I know obviously the the rush in high school is much different than it is on the collegiate level, but somebody I talked to who coached against Keaton last week, his name is Jason Mons, he's a coach in Arizona, and he's telling me, yeah, like Keaton's used to getting pressured because his high school team kind of sucked. Mm. <laughs> so he was under duress yeah. all the time. It's not like he had like good players he was playing with. He yeah. was always under pressure. And Jay Keaton probably wasn't very much. And then when I talked to Brian Ellis... <laughs> Brian Ellis is like basically, you know, JT admitted at USC when he was at modern day, he could just kind of pick a player and throw them the ball. Yeah. He was like, the thing that intrigued me about Keaton is he was fighting for his life, you know, every yeah. play, every every game was a battle. <laughs> and he was like, and he wasn't playing with the best team. So when he did get to USC, he was going to have a Tyler Bonds, a Michael Pittman, an Amon Ross St. Brown, and that was going to be an upgrade for him. Yeah. And so, you know. Alice kind of factored that in too, and that's why he was intrigued with Keenan. Yeah, yeah, no, I told you had a great story, uh, kind of, you know, looking into that that origin of, of his recruitment, uh, Keenan Slovis. Um, do you think this kid is going to save Clay's job? <laughs> right? I mean, we're guessing it's only week three, but when it comes down to it, 
how do you think this plays out? It's it's crazy because like we've only seen one game, and the one game was like one of the best yeah. starts you could ever imagine. Right. Yeah, and he might not have a better game or a better line yeah. for the rest of the year. He might have a more important game or a comeback in a tighter game. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like 28 for 33, 377, and like three touchdowns. Two of those passes hit Vaughn's hands. And yeah. So uh, He played a near-perfect game. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's impossible to say right now. I think he has the potential to do it. I don't know if he will, but I think he has the potential to. Yeah, but you're not going to make a prediction on whether he will? <laughs> no, right now, I want to bet on it just because it's extremely hard to you know, play at that level for that many weeks in a row as yeah. a freshman. I want to bet on it, but I think he has the potential to do it. Well, I mean, that, that's where we're all waiting and wondering if uh, he, is USC going to win enough games for, for Fult and you know, the administration that is to keep Clay Hilton, I figured that they'd have to, at minimum, win the division, which I thought would be really hard because I think Utah's the best team in the conference. Yeah, me too. USC could end up being the number two team in the Pac-12, but you know, but not winning their division. Right. And it happened a couple years back where Colorado was not the best team in the Pac-12, but they won the South and they were Mm 8-1. And USC was probably better than them. They had beaten Colorado, but didn't go to the conference title game. But I think right now, Clay probably has to win the division. Mm -hmm. And even though he could end up 9-3 without winning the division, I think that that might not be enough. Yeah, that's why this Utah game on Friday is going to be so fascinating just to see you know, these two teams, especially what happened last year, where Utah just bludgeoned yep. those guys. I mean, I, I, was writing, I was writing in a story for later this week just about how Utah concussed JT and they broke Matt Fink's ribs. Right. I mean, they, they really just physically put it on USC. And um, so I'm interested to see how that game goes next week. If, oh, they're if, better this year. Yeah. They're a better team. Yeah, and so I think that'll be the kind of the true litmus test for where USC's off the line is. And if USC wins that game, then I'm like, I think all bets are kind of off. <laughs> right. Um, with how high the ceiling goes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, if they beat Utah, then I think there's a good chance that Clay can force USC 10 mm-hmm. to keep him. Yeah. But I also feel like without winning that game and maybe you drop at least one of the next two at Washington, at Notre Dame, uh, again, I'm, I'm being told that, that the decision is basically they're, they're just prepared to move on is, is the way that I'll phrase it. Uh, we'll see. I, I have a hard time believing it even, you know. I have good sources, and yet, even then, I, I wonder how could they justify moving off Clay if this team ended up like 10 and 2? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just so much <laughs> But regardless of the division and the conference, yeah. just if they win 10 out of 12 games, even 9 out of 12. That, and you have a lot of young guys coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, if they were to, to have that kind of season, then the program's in a really good spot. Mm-hmm. But that might be more reason to just put the, the keys in someone else's hands that they think can direct it to where they believe it should go. Yeah, it's just, it's going to be interesting to watch. There's just so much season left to play out, and I think there's what ten games left. And if they make a Pac-12 title game, eleven. Yeah. Um, it's going to be re- really interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, they need to keep Keaton healthy. Uh, that'll be a big point of emphasis. Um, 
and Lavin's line needs to stay healthy. But I was talking to somebody earlier, and I think I think Graham Harrell kind of makes you feel more confident about this team's chances, just the way he's been calling plays so far. Absolutely. Um, as opposed to last year with T. Martin, you know, <laughs> I don't think really anybody had faith in what he was doing. Yeah. I think Graham Harrell gives a gives a kind of a swagger to this offense that you know everything's going to be all right. And when they're down seventeen to three against Stanford, it, it showed. Yeah, I mean, to come back like that against a team that's kind of owned you mm-hmm. of late uh, and, and really had they – they could have buried USC. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and credit the defense, credit Elijah Griffin for coming up really big on that drive in the red zone for keeping it 17-3 and not 21-3. Because if it's 21-3, I would expect that USC would score and would – would be competitive, but I don't think they win that game. Mm-hmm. I don't. And it's three scores, and they have to be like throwing in basically every play. Yeah. Um, from there on, from there on forward, it's it's funny because they didn't they didn't throw a lot. You know, considering how much they threw against Fresno State in the first half. Yeah. They didn't throw a ton. You know, in this game, they had better balance. Yeah. Um, and Keaton still put up those numbers. Mm-hmm. But 33 attempts, J.K. had 34 yeah. in the first half versus Fresno State. And that's what I'm kind of interested in seeing, too. Now that he's proven he's capable of handling it, are they going to pick up the pace? They're going to ramp it up even more. Yeah, because they only ran 61 plays yeah. against Stanford. and they ran, Well, Stanford ran clock. Yeah, yeah. And they ran 50 in the first half against Fresno State. Yeah. So... It's going to be interesting to see if they kind of ramp it up now, if they pick up the pace now that Keaton has proven he can do it in a game. Yeah. The other thing that I'm really mindful of uh, that I'm going to be covering more uh, this week is they're coming off a really big win versus Stanford, and they have a really big game around the corner with Utah. And, and of course, Washington and Notre Dame kind of Mm -hmm. hover over that as well. This is a double trap game. And it's a young team. (laughs) It's just an ultimate trap game. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it would already be one just coming off of Stanford and winning in that fashion. And we've seen that in the past from USC, uh, where it can be a bit emotional to to beat Stanford in this decade. But to have Utah lurking and knowing that, like just all the different things we've already kind of covered uh, and and what that game means, uh, it's, you know, division, it's conference, uh, it's season. And and it's a short week too, Utah. This game is non-conference on the road. It's it's the last game before like everything starts. Like every game starts really mattering. Yeah, because Washington will matter. It's Notre so game. easy to just be overconfident or to overlook BYU. Mm-hmm. And, they, and have, they have a talent edge. Yeah, yeah, right. And yet, like like Clay mentioned, it's the first thing that we talked about on Sunday, and we need to be a mature team. And the last thing that he wants and what he's trying to prepare for is them avoiding that trap game. Yeah, let down. But it, I, I don't know. I, I think that – I guess what I'm going to say is I would expect this game to be actually closer than Stanford. I don't know if that's even a hot take. <laughs> I, I know that they beat they Stanford by 25. 25. <laughs> right. But that was the final. And, I mean, uh, early on they were down by 14. Uh, I just think that – I'd be I'd be really impressed if they were to come out in the first quarter and just start rolling on BYU. Yeah, I think it might be a little bit. Utah didn't even roll over BYU right away. No. Uh, 
So I think it'll be like a seven to ten point game. I think it'll be competitive. I think it'll be close. Yeah. Maybe they score a touchdown late to pull away. Yeah. Uh, I think they'll win, but it's going to be. I want to see how Keaton handles the road, how the offensive line handles that environment because yeah. communication is going to be key. Yeah, that's a big deal. That communication, which has been really good mm-hmm. by all accounts, but it's so different the moment you go on the road. And mm-hmm. I think this game could get kind of loud. And it's Brett Nealon, too, who's making his first start on the road um, as, a, as a sophomore. Um, and he's the guy who kind of runs everything for that offensive line. And it's a, it's a bunch of guys who are playing together. You know, it's still it's only their third game starting together. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see that element of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I think O-line is definitely an X factor, if not mm-hmm. the X factor. I think even more than Keaton for me. Mm-hmm. How, how do they play? If they play well, then I think Keaton will play well. It just unlocks everything for the offense if they play well. It gives yeah. Keaton time. It gives Vivian Malapaya running lanes. It gives Stephen Carr running lanes. I think... No. Marquis Scott, perhaps. <laughs> Who knows? I think it, it, it just unlocks. He's not in the portal yet. <laughs> I think it just unlocks, you know, the potential for the offense if they do play well, and that's why we've seen them play well these past two weeks because the offensive line's done really well. Yeah. Well, if they start out three and zero, then we can see real momentum, I think, for Clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I maybe maybe it probably require Utah. I guess for the fan base to get behind him, it will require more than BYU. But uh, but if he can stack wins, then I feel like we're it's almost like a showdown between like this football team and the uh, the administration in a weird way. You know where I mean they're aware of the fact that that Clay is coaching for his job. Where last year, I, I don't think they were totally dialed into that. I remember asking about it in November, and they were some of the players were really confused by it and looked at me like, what are you talking about? You know, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, there's a chance here that your head coach will not be your head coach by the end of the month. Uh, and I, I do think that you know, he had, he'd probably gotten as close as he could to, to losing his job without losing it. Um, but but now this season, I feel like with Keaton and and what happened the other night, uh, I think he changed the complexion of the entire year. Yeah, I think the outlook and the optimism definitely changed for this season. Like you said, I think it raises the the ceiling or the floor for the for this for this team just because we haven't seen. I've only been on the beat for you know a season and two games now. Yeah, but. You know, I haven't seen quarterback play like that since, you know, I've been on the beat. JT's had some halves, but he's never put together a whole game right. just like that, where it's you know, five incompletions and three touchdown passes and 377 yards <laughs> um, against a ranked team when you're down twenty, you're down 14 points. Yeah, first um, start. Yeah. I mean. So, you know, that obviously, you know, increases the optimism around here. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out and how he does on the road and how he does against some of these better teams. I really, I'm really interested to see how... He does in these next few games. One more Helton question for you. Do you believe that Swan being ousted is good for him or bad for him? I, I don't think it helps anytime your biggest supporter is gone. And that's basically what Swan was. He extended Clay through 2023 when it didn't seem like there were many suitors for Clay. And when I think a lot of people would have wanted Clay fired. He decided to keep him, and he yeah did kind of stood on his own and did that right. Um, so I think anytime you have your biggest supporter gone, I don't think it's a positive. Yeah, and very logical, and might be very accurate. 
I do wonder, though, just from what I've learned about why this resignation, if you will, happened, Swan was basically number one on his hit list that Fult was given upon accepting a job as the president. And Swan and Helton were, were pretty linked, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, even though Swan didn't hire Helton, a lot of people would kind of make that mistake because mm-hmm. they, their, their tenures almost entirely overlapped. Yeah, and they were basically attached to the hip, you know, yeah. with the decisions Flynn made. Yeah, I mean, I always make the point that the moment that Swan retained him, he was basically hiring him. Mm-hmm. With that said, with, with Swan out, I think Clay does have a chance here to kind of reestablish himself mm-hmm. at the school and, and for this season. He, he has time right now to do that. And that's why I don't know how many games he has to win. I don't know what the bar is. Uh, I don't imagine that that Folk comes in with this uh, like expectation for the football program that she's learning to you know to like oh you, you guys got to win a national title. I don't I don't imagine that's where her mindset's at. It, mm-hmm. I think it's on, on things kind of bigger than that and really cleaning up a lot of the mess and, and figuring out what's going on with all the investigations and yeah, yeah, the department. Yeah, the different scandals and, and who was connected to what, mm-hmm. right? But uh, so long as Clay is you know, cleared of any of that, because I mean, that, that's really all that was under Swan's watch, mm-hmm. but there hasn't been a tie in with Clay. And so if, if, if it's just about football with him, then I actually wonder if he can can win his job back yeah. with a great season. But I, I don't even know that. I'm not even confident in that. And, and that's why I don't know what the magic number would be, if that's even a possibility for him. Uh, but uh, and with, with Swan, put it this way, with Swan, what did you think that Clay had to do? Let's say that Swan remained the athletic director for this year, and was she going to be the athletic director for the foreseeable future? What did you think Clay had to do? Probably win the division, at least, and I thought he had to win the conference. Yeah, win the division or win the conference, one of those two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe at the minimum was the division, but we, we talked to him at the Coliseum unveiling. Yeah, and he said win the and conference. And we expect, you know, we expect to win the conference, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I realize that USC should be positioned to, to compete for it every year. Yeah. But that's really not where they were entering the season. Yeah, there are by everybody's picks and the, I mean, yeah. they both voted and everybody else voted, you know, Utah. Utah was the right. preseason pick to win the conference and the division. Like, like, a, a, like a near unanimous. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. And they're in their division. I think that's a lot of the USC fans too. There's this divide between expectations and then reality. Right. And everybody wants to compete for a national title every year. Like Alabama and Clemson are the only ones that are doing that. Yeah. But, but even that group of... of you know, the, the, those that really expect a lot. One guy I talked to did not expect them to win the conference in 2019. Mm-hmm. They might be feeling different right now, yeah. but that wasn't the feeling just a month ago. But if, if Swan was, I, I thought Swan was probably expecting that. Mm-hmm. That's the way he came off, that's what he communicated. And I actually believe that he was going to hold Clay to that. I felt like if Clay did not win the Pac 12, he was going to make a change. Now with Fult, I don't know. 
I, what if what if they're a fun team? What if they're a good team? Yeah. Uh, Attendance seems to be back on the rise again. Yeah, like last week. If and, they, and they win nine games, they go nine and three, and recruiting picks back up or something, and then yeah, it's a, it's a tougher decision to make. Yeah, so, so I actually feel like, and I don't know. I, I feel like there there's a world in which this might have been a good thing for Clay. Mm-hmm. To just kind of uh, be separated from the stench of Swan. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the general perception of incompetence, that Swan, you know, that many people have a Swan. Right. Um, it's good to kind of be away from that. You know, you kind of got rid of that with Hayden, but then Swan kind of, you know, the perception got even worse. Um, so now, yeah. now that that's exactly. gone, um, I could see how that does benefit Clay. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of potential movement, we talked about Keaton and, and what happened there. I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I don't think he's losing jobs. <laughs> Outside of injury, I think that this is USC's quarterback until he decides to go to the NFL. I mean, we have to see all these games first. I was, I thought he played, like I said, I thought he played the best game of quarterback I've seen. Yeah. And his arm is the best one. Yeah, um, and we knew that. Yeah, that wasn't anything new. That wasn't mm-hmm. a revelation. Yeah, and you know, he was making throws the other guys couldn't, like Graham told us, <laughs> <laughs> over and over and over. And you know, I just want to see a couple more games, maybe like three or four more games. Before yeah, player. I'm not crowning him a superstar. That's not what I was trying to do there. Yeah. And if I came up that way, I apologize. Although I think that there's a chance that he could become yeah. the next guy. But I'm saying that. He's better than JT. I just think he's better. And I think that they think that. I think Graham thinks that. And if Graham's here, I don't think JT's playing again. I, like I said, it's too early. For me, it's too You're early. You're not going there. I'm not going there. All right. I think it's too early to declare. But Graham was so high on Keaton, even in the spring. It's, it gives you thoughts like, hey, does he plan on you know playing this guy? And obviously, you know, Graham's just always been the highest on Keaton. The highest, highest. Yeah, yeah like in, in terms of the quarterbacks, he's always been, that's the one he's always received the most praise. Um, I'm starting to wonder, like, I wonder if Graham, like, if he sticks with, like, Keaton long enough, is he going to like him more than, like, Mason Fine? Because I remember reading a story on ESPN.com about, like, his relationship with, like, Mason Fine and basically how he was in tears when he was telling Mason Fine he was coming to USC. Um, like, is it going to be, like, that kind of relationship where, like, Keaton and, and, and Graham are just tied at the hip? Um, so it's just interesting to see. But as long as, like you said, as long as Graham is here, I could, I could see him, you know, supplanting DT. Okay, okay, before Keaton ever touched the field, here's a quote from Graham Harrell. I can read this all day. Talent-wise, he's as good as I've ever seen. <laughs> Which sent shockwaves through the media. Uh, I had a hard time with it myself. Uh, yeah, you had to ask him about it weeks later. I get, well, because Graham Harrell was a backup to Aaron Rodgers, who, if you don't think is that guy, then is in that conversation in the history of the NFL. And, uh, and Keaton Slovis is 18 and had not played yet at that point. Had not played college football yet. So, yeah, Har- Harold, 
I mean, find someone that looks at you the way Harold looks at Keaton Slovis. Uh, it was just so funny how the game played out. Right. Yeah, yeah. he just looked like the smartest person of all time. <laughs> and, or know, a prophet. And, yeah, just, uh, you know, people told me, uh, did some reporting on Graham for a couple of stories. People were just like, once he makes his decision, he doesn't care what other people think. He's yeah. going to stick to it. It doesn't really matter. Um, he's going to do his research and he's going to be well thought out. But when he when he makes his mind up, you, you can't tell him really any differently. Um, you know, and he saw Keaton throughout the spring, throughout camp, and he hasn't backed off of any of these claims yet. It makes you wonder why he didn't pick him to start because he could have done it, and I didn't think he would do it. I wasn't surprised that he didn't do it, but it just makes you wonder why didn't you do it then? It, like, did he have the foresight that something would happen? Because I think he thought JT would play well. Mm-hmm. But did he have the foresight that, you know what, there will be a point in time this year where uh, we can make that change if we need to? I think he was, I think he was, how would I say, I think he was confident that Keaton would play well um, during that transition. Um, I don't think he was, he didn't seem worried when JT went down. No. No, but, but I'm saying if JT doesn't go down, then what? I think JT's still playing. I don't, I don't think. But like the whole year? Like you, you think that there I want was... to see like struggled. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I don't, yeah. I don't know that JT would have played poor enough for it to be obvious mm-hmm. to make a change. Uh, now, last year I thought like if you had a guy that you like as much as he, that if Harold liked Slovis, he would have probably pulled JT the mm-hmm. way JT played. But Clay did not feel that way about Sears or Fink. Mm-hmm. But this year, I mean, J.T. in all likelihood would have just played better. Uh, I think there's some exaggeration about that first half that he had with Fresno State, where I thought he was really good in those completions, but both the, the fumble and just not getting rid of the ball and not going down uh, on, on that stack, which is obviously extremely unfortunate with what happened, but uh, ultimately it, it was avoidable. Um, between that play and the pick, and even that batted pass on the first drive that really should have been picked, uh, he had those three plays, if you will, that, uh, that, that weren't good, that two of them really hurt the team, and then the other one would have just as much. It would have taken away a touchdown off the board. Um, those were the plays where, I mean, Harold yesterday, I felt like he was almost indirectly referencing them about running his offense and just don't make mistakes. Just keep making the, the quick, easy decision and, and everything else will kind of happen for you. The spectacular play will present itself. I think the interesting thing was last week when we talked to Graham and he was like, yeah, Keenan's going to make mistakes. He's, he's a true freshman. He's like, JT had a year under his belt and he made mistakes too. He did. And, he did say that. And so, yeah. They, like, he, like, JT was still making them. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where my mind goes to when you, when you say that. Yeah. I, I think JT played, played pretty well. He, no, he played very well. Yeah, yeah. Just, those turnovers also factor in, and, yeah. you know, it wasn't an A. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think he played really well. The interception was bad. Um, it just seemed like he kind of panicked. Yeah. Um, once he bobbled the ball. Well, Harold told us later it was a run play. Yeah, he should yeah. have had it off. Yeah, and then obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into that sack where he tore his ACL. 
um, you know, the offensive line. You know, Brett Nealon said he could have ID'd it better. Uh, yeah, they didn't pick. They didn't pick up the blitz. JT probably could have ID'd it better, and he probably could have got rid of the ball quicker. Um, I think that's a good talk. Good talk. Like if, if you don't have enough to to account for what they're bringing mm-hmm. as a quarterback, then you just jump it. You just get rid of it. Or you go down. Yeah. So there's a lot of factors that went in, that went into that play. Um, yeah, it wasn't a perfect half. It was a, a really good half. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a perfect half, but then obviously. You know, Keaton just comes up and follows it with a, a perfect game, basically. Yeah. Um, so it was interesting. With that said, what do you think is going to happen next with JT? I think he's still going to stay here and compete for the job. He was a five-star quarterback, uh, one of the highest-rated quarterbacks in his class, basically behind Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. So I think he's going to stay and try to compete for the job. I mean, he, Regardless of what happens with Keaton this year? I, that's what I would assume. He was, he was the starter, but he beat Keaton out for the job. Uh, so I, I would assume he's, he stays. You? I, I no, I don't. I I, I, wow. like, like, I appreciate your perspective because I don't know, but I, I think he's gone. I think right now it's kind of tricky because he's rehabbing, and he'll be doing that for a while. And that timeline could come into play. He might not even be available until about training camp. Yeah, these we've seen guys recover at their own. At their own rate, Max Williams is a guy who was ready to run in spring, and he seemed like he recovered pretty fast. You have a guy like Kyle Ford and Ethan Ray who are just starting to practice really right now. Um, so, and you have a guy like Armani Rogers, Armani Rogers at Clemson who came back within like six months. It's uh, everybody comes back at their own rate. So, you know, JT's progress is obviously going to be worth monitoring. But and he won the job. He's won it two years in a row. I, I would assume he'd stay, but. Well, here's the problem. If if he were not ready to go in training camp, yeah. I mean, he has yeah. to compete for the yeah, job. Obviously, yeah, that obviously puts him... Then, yeah, then he's pouring into the season, and Keaton's your starter, and I just feel like that could really work against him. Yeah. And that, that, that could make it hard for him where he might have to make a decision before he's able to even test himself. Yeah, missing springs already is yeah. already going to put him you know, behind. Yeah. Um, but we'll see how Keaton plays before making any declarations. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm not crowning him uh, as a legend, but I am calling him the starting quarterback. And I think that it will probably only take maybe a couple more big games where JT would probably privately make up his mind about what he's going to do. If, if Keaton were to have a few more games like that, then I, I definitely think that he'll he'll probably – move forward with his career. Uh, now, maybe he'd be delayed a bit by like whoever he's, whoever's working with him on, on the rehab and all that. I realize that might, that guy also could keep him, you know, local for a while. But, no, I, I think that, I guess that's what I'm expecting to happen. I, I'm expecting that this is the, the Keaton Slovis era. Yeah, like I said, you know, Get to see how he plays the next couple of weeks before. You don't think he's gonna rip it? <laughs> I think he's gonna do well, but I mean, this, that's not a guarantee he will do well. So, so. Yeah, yeah, but but do you think he'll play at a high level? Yeah, yeah, I do. Right, like more often than not, he's gonna have a bad game. You know, and he'll, yeah, he'll have a couple. I'll, he'll make mistakes here and there and stuff like that. But he has a good receiving core here, and offensive lines are playing well, so it's setting up for him to do well. Um, so yeah. I, I believe he'll do well. Um, he has a good supporting cast around him. Yeah. Uh, this system is really helpful. 
Uh, so there's a lot of positives going in Keenan's direction that, you know, a lot of forces that are, you know, out there to, to kind of help him. And he is a great arm and yeah. he's a great decision maker. So um, there's a lot of things going for him. Yeah, he turned the ball over a lot in spring practice, mm-hmm. which always stuck out to me. I kind of filed that away. And then he did have a couple more in training camp. Not a lot, but he had a couple more. Yeah. And, and Harold addressed that and why that happened and why that hasn't happened yet in a game. It's going to happen. He's going to throw his picks. Yeah. But he doesn't, his game doesn't, I, don't, I would be surprised if he threw a lot of them. Yeah. And like we talked about, I think, before the game on Saturday, his, his picks are more just missed throws. Yeah. He than, misses. Yeah. He probably, yeah, he, he doesn't misfire. Yeah. More than he tries to force throws. Yeah, it's more missed throws than, what would you say, like bad decisions. Um, it's not, you know, forcing. I think one of the only throws he forced on Saturday was that one to Bonds. It was like a short little hitch. That's what I thought. Yeah. And then I actually went back and looked at that again. And it, our vantage point was not good. Yeah. We, you know, it was, on the, it was going away from us. But when I looked at it again, actually, I wrote about this. He threw it to the outside shoulder. Mm-hmm. And he threw it in a spot where, you know, I mean, he threw, he threw a laser. And the GB would not be able to pick that off. Now, when it happened in real time, it looked like that should have been the pick six. Yeah. But actually, no. Maybe the GB could have gotten like a finger on it or poked it away, but it wasn't going to get picked off. He actually put in a spot where Vaughn's could get it or it would go incomplete. Yeah, well, then in that case, you know, he didn't really force much. Right. Um, and that's what we've seen in spring, we've seen in camp. Um, and he's, he hasn't done it yet, so there's no reason to believe he will. Yeah, yeah, it hasn't been his nature to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now let's see if it's maybe a different, more hostile environment. Yeah, better team. Maybe late in the game. Yeah. He hasn't been pressured that way. He yeah. hasn't dealt with a lot of pressure. Even, I mean, the first game, you asked Harold what was the difference between game one and game two, and Harold was like, oh, they were the same to me. And like, they, they were not the same. Yeah. They, they were really nothing the same in my mind. His timing was way better in the second game. Yeah, much sharper. Um, he didn't, you know, he didn't hold on to the ball as long. Um, you know, he you know, just the poise was a little bit like, I know he showed some poise in the Fresno State game, but, you know, nothing like he showed. Yeah. There was nothing that happened in the Fresno State game that could that could have foreshadowed no. what we were going to see right. Saturday. Except for Harold. Mm-hmm. But, but I brought up that first game only because in that situation, they played not to lose. Mm-hmm. It was very run heavy. Uh, Nearly every pass that he threw outside of the long completion and the long interception were, were very short. I mean, he was averaging literally, I think, 2.2 yards in attempt mm-hmm. other than the long completion. And he wasn't, he wasn't having to win the game for them. Yeah. They called the, when he entered the game, they called three straight run plays. Uh, when he started the game on Saturday, it was six straight passes. He, yeah. scr- he scrambled on two, but they called uh, six straight pla- uh, passes. So they just had a very different mindset yeah. between Stanford and Fresno State. They were up by double digits. Mm-hmm. Uh, that Bayless kick return, I think, gave them a big cushion. Yeah, I mean, they were up 18 in, in both, you know, in the second half of both games. And as soon as Keaton threw that pick, they kind of shut it down. Yeah. And then this week, this past week, they're just like, we're keeping our foot on the gas pedal. Yeah. Like, you were to say throwing, and they went up by right. 25. Which was surprising. Yeah. I, I was impressed that they would keep going with him and that he just sustained it for an entire game. Again, 20 to 33. But he'll have a different game. He'll have a different game where yeah. he's maybe closer to 50%. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's a turnover or two, and it's a tight game. Yeah, like, and, like it could be something we saw in the scrimmages when he was playing in the Coliseum or on, on the practice field. 
um, to where maybe it's a performance like that. You know, we don't know. We'll see. Yeah, we, we still have a lot to learn about him. Uh, but I do believe that he will play really well more often than not. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to play so well, or, or well enough, I, I should say, that it will encourage JT to transfer. That's just what I think is going to happen here. I, I think that it, it's, again, barring injury, it's probably a, a new era. Yeah, we'll, we'll, see. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. But, uh, yeah, you don't have to go there with me. I'm, I'm cool <laughs> going on my own there. You know, JT, uh, they, they put a lot into JT these past, this past year and a half. And if, it, if it is Clay, um, still here next year, then it's going to be, you know, he's invested a lot in, into, yeah. into JT. So That's the funny part. We'll Who, who's here? Yeah. I mean, all these dominoes are, can, can sway in different directions right mm-hmm. now. And the way Keenan plays will affect Clay, it affects Harold. Harold, If Keaton has, has a great season, what if it's going to make Graham more attractive somewhere? Yeah. So, there's so much that goes into it. And it also affects your boy, Bryce Young. Yeah, my guy. All right, give me your prediction on that one. I don't know. USC quarterback <laughs> commit. Is he going to be here in 2020? I don't know. Uh, I, like I said, I'm not going to do any, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> decorative on. Uh, on Bryce, uh-huh. um, but obviously it changes the dynamic because you know streaks are talking. <laughs> because you know, Keaton will have three years left after this, and, J- and JT will. JT, if, he come, if he's here, will have three years after this. Um, so that just changes the timeline. When JT went down, that changed the timeline for the entire program. Um, so we'll see really how that kind of affects Bryce. Obviously, he's been committed for for so long. Yeah, you um, talked to him a lot. Have you heard anything? <laughs> no, I, mean, I know Alabama's still, you know, pursuing him. Yeah. Um, Sark is making a big push. Um, I know they haven't really... And who's their quarterback in 2020? <laughs> and that, that's going to be open. Right. Um, so, you know, it'll be Come interesting. Come on, Antonio. <laughs> you, you can connect some dots here. And it'll be interesting. I mean, that's a... You don't have to report anything, but that, you can that, that's connect open, a dot or two. That's an open, that'd be an open job in 2020. So, uh-huh. So I'll tell you what job's not open. <laughs> USC. So, so we'll see, man. <laughs> I, here's the thing. I'm talking to him, too. Great kid. Really like him. Yeah. I think he's really good. And I think he would be... And he's been really solid on USC for yeah. over a year. But I, I think I could foresee him crushing it with Graham Harrell. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I, I can envision that being like a, a beautiful marriage. And I know that he really would like to come here. I know that he wanted to come here for a long time. It goes way beyond an offense or a staff. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the whole thing, you know, yeah. the whole network, the whole university. Uh, he'd like to be here in L.A. With all that said, I don't think he's coming either. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, no, I, but I'm, I'm telling you, I, just from what I'm hearing, there's a lot of dialogue with Alabama right now. Uh, it's been ramped up. You know, it, I think he tried to quell it at, at one point previously where he, he wasn't interested and was pretty set on coming to USC. And I believe that's changed. And uh, I, I mean, some will tell you that he's already telling Alabama, you know, to expect him. Uh, I don't know, but I don't expect him to come to USC. 
recruiting is strange, so we'll see. I mean, I, nothing in recruiting surprises me, especially with the way Keaton played and the way it just changes the whole timeline. Um, that is something I can foresee happening, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, we will. All right. Uh, another thing that we're watching right now, very fresh news, Jevin Williams, we mentioned him earlier, entered the transfer portal. And at USC, that doesn't mean that it's over. Yeah. <laughs> right? Clay's had some good luck with the transfer portal. Yeah. Yeah, he's won more than he's lost. And there have been a few kids that have entered and not left. Mm-hmm. And, so, like, Velas obviously had a big kickoff return for a touchdown in the opener. He's a guy who came in and left. Matt I mean, Bayless wasn't here the entire spring. Yeah, Matt he came back. Matt Fink came in and left. And he's the backup quarterback now. <laughs> yeah. Greg, Greg Johnson came in and left. He had a pick last week. Yeah, he's a starter. Came, came back. Um, so you know the guys that they've that they've you know that gone in and returned have significant kind of roles on this team now. Yeah, it's worked out for them. I don't know what's going to happen with Devin. You know, we did ask today. We, we had limited availability with the team. We weren't able to talk to Clay Hilton. We weren't able to talk to the offense. Yeah, the defensive guys. But from the few people I was able to talk to, it's probably a little bit up in the air for Devin. Uh, we might know more later in the week after talking to Clay again. I'm not surprised. But I'm disappointed, not, not in him, but just in the situation. I think it's kind of unfortunate, and it was avoidable. And uh, as you know, as probably a lot of you know, I'm pretty high on him. Mm-hmm. I, I think that he should be pretty good. And I think he could be good now, not, not great maybe, not ready to be great. Still, I think kind of raw, you know, still maybe drops a few more passes than I'd like in practice, but really talented. If they play 60 plays a game, say they play 60, they had 61 on Saturday, how many do you think he should play them? If they're only playing that many, you're not going to take Michael Pittman and Tyler Vaughn's off the field. And if it's like 80, like they had against Fresno, how many should you play? Like 20? Yeah, yeah. I think those, those other 20 like could, should go to him. And they didn't. He was a healthy scratch in game one. I think this is where this really arose because. Yeah. We heard all training camp that they were going to rotate and they were going to be so fast and they were going to be worn out themselves that they would need a breather and they were going to run eight receivers. And this is something that came from them. I remember asking the question to Clay, how many do you envision using? And he first said eight and then he repeated it a few times. Yeah, I remember that. We're we're going eight deep and it kept coming out. Uh, We didn't hear that from Harold. Yeah, I heard it. But we did hear it from Clay. Which I guess that should have been a yellow flag. I think Harold just mentioned, hey, we need as many as we can. I think that's basically what he said. Yeah. At some point. Right. Uh, but it was understood, at least, and I think even within the team, that they were going to really cycle through those guys. Mm-hmm. And they did a little bit more. Devin yeah, like played versus Stanford. Yeah. Lemire McLean, who we both like, who we think you know can probably contribute now. Mm-hmm. Played a little bit. Drake played quite a bit and yeah. did well. They uh, actually isn't even playing a whole lot of receiver. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's kind of been, you know, just strictly. He's a return specialist. He's really good at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he played a little bit against Fresno State, but I don't, I don't remember seeing him much against Stanford. No. Uh, but they're they're leaning heavily on who you think they would: Michael oh, yeah. Pittman, Chad Wallace, Amon Ross, St. Brown. 
I get it. Those guys are better right now than Devin. Devin, though, isn't just potential. Like, Devin is ripe, I think, to, to make plays. Uh, even the play that he had. He, had. he had a nice play where he caught a short little pass. He was on that drive where Keegan ended up connecting with Amon Ra for the long touchdown. But Devin takes, I think, a little curl and then spins around, turning like a three-yard pass into an 11-yard play. Yeah. He's got some after-the-catch ability. Uh, really good size and speed combo that you don't even have on this roster. He's not really a guy that, that can do the things that he does. He has a unique skill set. Yeah, it was, yeah like, like you said, the nice blend of size and speed. I mean, we saw it in spring. We saw we saw it in camp. I think the scrimmage, he had a, he had a big second scrimmage at the Coliseum. Yeah. Um, that the fans were at. Um, you know, the talent's there. He wasn't the most consistent player. In no. Terms of, you know, doing it play in and play out. There's yeah. a spectacular catch followed by an easy drop. Right. Um, so, you know, the focus wasn't there at all times. Um, obviously, I think it's a loss. I think he's a talented player for USC. But I think if there's the one one room where they could weather that, it's, it's yeah. that one. Yeah, I don't think this cripples them in 2019. I think it maybe would hurt them in 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I think, you know, he probably still a great opportunity to play more. But it wasn't a slam dunk. I think that's what's become apparent. And I think he saw that, that... Moving forward, I don't know if if I'm in their plans, and I'm not defending his decision. It does seem a bit impulsive, but I think he he did look at that realistically. That you know, maybe they like Drake better already, yeah. and and I'm and I'm gonna have a, a hard time getting past him. And Lamar McLean is another guy who was really impressive mm-hmm. in training camp. Uh, before going down. Yeah, he, had, he, he was having probably, you know... That, I mean, better than Devin, better than Drake. Better than most of the players on the team in training camp. Yeah. Like he, he, he was having one of the most impressive training camps of any player on the team Yeah. Uh, before, you know, he got banged up a little bit. And, you know, that's what I was thinking. I, we watched the game again last night, and I was like, Manier had two catches, you know, Drake had three. Yeah. Um, Devin only had one. I was like, you know, at some point, one of these guys is going to kind of fall off a little bit in terms of you know, the catches, um, especially when you have Kyle coming back next year. Like, he'll be fully healthy next year, Kyle Ford. And yeah. Bruce McCoy will be back next year, and then it's going to be a really crowded room, and not everybody's going to get the ball. And um, I mean, it's crowded now. Yeah. So, did you think that they've misused him? No, because, I mean, they have – I think they can play him a little bit more, obviously, like we talked about against Fresno. He should have played in that game. Um, but – and, and I think Graham Harrell even said that himself. We should have got those guys in there. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, so something that I, I really thought about after that game was if you're not going to play him in that game, then when are you going to play him? Yeah, because that, that's going to be like one of the easiest games you're going to play. Yeah. Even though it wasn't easy. I mean, in terms of winnable, like yeah. that's the one that like everybody is like. That's a safe game. Yeah. You, did, you had a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. You didn't play him. Yeah, and, and so it doesn't mean that he won't play at all. He did play a little bit for Stanford, but I feel like he probably was not going to play a lot for the remainder of the year, yeah, the barring a couple tough. injuries. Yeah, because the games are going to get tougher from here on out. Um, it'll lighten up in the back half of the schedule, but still, um, this immediate stretch wasn't. There probably wasn't going to be a ton of opportunities, and considering 
those guys seem to kind of mandate their reps. I'm sure Pittman and, and Vons will want to stay on the field in these important games. Yeah, but that's something that we learned recently where basically the receivers have the autonomy to, to ask for their sub or not. Mm-hmm. And Michael Pittman is in a contract year. Tyler Vons is probably approaching it like a contract year, mm-hmm. you know, where he wants to go at the end of the year, have a big year and go. Neither one of them are going to come off the field. Yeah. You're going to have to take them off the field. It seems like maybe the coaches kind of took it, took control of that a little bit on Saturday because the second, the second series was like... Right, it was a whole brand new group of guys. A whole new group of guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, those guys are kind of... Pittman and Bonds, if it's up to them, I'm sure they're not going to come off them themselves. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Um, and if they're not, and we don't know yet, but if they're not running as many plays as we thought, that, that might vary from game to game. I mean, Stanford was definitely trying to control the clock. Yeah. They felt like that was their way to, to, you know, to shorten the game. To win the game would be to shorten it. Uh, it didn't work out, but I understand that strategy. Not everyone can do that. Mm-hmm. So I... 61 plays, you said. That's yeah. probably on the low end. Mm-hmm. I, I doubt there'll be many games that would be lower than that. But, you know. Yeah, Stanford had like one seven-minute drive in the in the second half. It took up a lot of the clock. And then um, USC had like a three-and-out right after. So Stanford has a, controlled the ball for the majority of the third quarter. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, like I said earlier, now that Keaton's shown he could handle the situation, I think. It would make sense if they ramped it up a little bit more. Yeah, I think they will. And so for Devin, I I don't know. If he comes back, I, I still am high on him. I still believe mm-hmm. that he could be a really good player. I just feel like that, that ceiling is really high for him. Yeah, yeah, he, I agree. He's just he, out. Yeah, he, he looks like, like a future NFL receiver in terms of his makeup, um, his talent makeup. But... I would concur as well that on the practice field, he left something to be desired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt. Like, like I said, there's you know these great catches, and then there's you know kind of inexplicable drops that you would see. Um, I think yeah. it's kind of hard to gauge him in the spring just because the DB numbers were so low. Yeah. And like he was going against walk-ons and yeah. guys who were never going to play. Right. Um, in the spring, so it's kind of hard to gauge how how much he really improved. Yeah, I mean he dominated at points, and then he was kind of quiet too. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like he started off really hot, and then like, I don't know if it seemed like this in camp, but it seemed like in spring he started off hot, and then kind of tailed off a little bit. Yeah. And it might have happened a little similar in camp too. Yeah, he reminds me of a bit of Vaughn's in the way where I do feel like he'll make the plays that you wouldn't expect, mm-hmm. but then kind of doesn't make enough of the routine ones. Yeah. I mean, Vaughn's is better, but Vaughn's has that issue as well in games mm-hmm. and even in practice. And, and so I, I didn't feel like he was far behind. I get that the other guys are established, mm-hmm. but I did feel like he should have been given more of a look. I, I think that's something that we've seen here in this program you know, this predates Graham Harrell, and uh, it's really been throughout Clay's tenure where there have been players who you just didn't know enough about, right? It, it wasn't that you knew that they were good and they weren't they weren't getting a fair shot, or that you knew that they were they they weren't good and they shouldn't play. It was more that you didn't have probably enough intel on them. Yeah, enough data. Yeah, enough data. I mean, look at I gotta say it, Willie Butiko who I did not suspect would be doing this, but leading the nation in sacks, and the, I think it's five and a half, which is 
more than all but one player last year in USC. Only Porter Gustin had more than that okay. for the whole year. Who they played, though? But it doesn't matter. He's played two games at Illinois, and he has five and a half sets. Okay. And he probably played like 40 snaps his entire USC career. Yeah, I mean, that's something you could obviously, you know, play those guys more, get more evidence. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that you make them a starter and you yeah, play them full yeah, time, yeah. but you got to play them. Yeah. yeah, you got to get them in there and get them working and, and figure out what you have, find out what you have. Mm-hmm. That's been my contention all along. Yeah, no, you said the same thing with Jack. With Jack <laughs> I did. Yeah, I thought it would have been valuable last November. We have to get into all that again. We've done that. <laughs> but you've been consistent with your, with your, uh, yeah. your belief. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I try to be. Uh, and so I don't really want to talk about so much about the Illinois kids who are doing well and yeah. happy for them. I realized the receivers, that was very different, and yeah. they were at the, the bottom there. Uh, but can you foresee another individual on in this team right now ending up in the portal in the very near future? I mean, I'll have to see how these next couple games play, plays out. I know you're a marquee step kind of guy, but if he does play these next two games, I think that'll kind of kind of ease things up a bit, you know. On the, yeah, I mean, I think they had to play him at the end of that Stanford game. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know that he would have tri- he would have been in the portal right now had he just not gotten those three carries. In fact, he had another one that got called back. Uh, was it? Yeah, yeah, towards the end of the game. Yeah, I think he scored on it, or he like, he got, got down like he got down, like, yeah, like in the red zone or near the goal line, or whatever. He he has to play. I don't know if you agree with me on this one. I I feel like you have to use him. I mean, it depends on, you know, the situations. I feel Vi and Carr have played really well, so I understand why he hasn't gotten a ton of carries. But, I mean, he was impressive in the spring. He was impressive in camp, too. I think he did enough to justify getting carried. I, th- I think the coaches, like, I think even Jinx said he earned himself a role. Yeah. On this and then he was a healthy stretch game one. Yeah, and then, you know, he didn't play. So, like, I think that surprised most people. Um, when you didn't see him get that many, didn't get any carries, didn't play in the first game. Um, so we'll see how these next couple of weeks play out and if he does kind of get established more into the game plan and if he gets some short yardage carries or some goal line carries. Yeah. Because um, that's what he was used for all spring and all training camp. You know, whenever they got down there, I feel like he was the guy that gave the ball. Well, I think you can do that with him for sure. But I think he's more than that, too. And I think that's why he'll get frustrated very quickly here. And he really improved he did. catching the ball. He did. I, I don't think he's a liability. Yeah. Now, granted, Carr's number one at that, mm-hmm. and Vavai's good at that, too. So he would be third on that, uh, you know, in that category. But not, he's not Rojo. Yeah, he didn't. He's not a liability out there. You know? No. You know, so I think, you know, he... I think people kind of were like, does he fit this offense? But there's nothing to suggest that he doesn't. Yeah, right. I, I could see him maybe fitting better in a yeah, different offense. Though. Yeah, but it's not but, like, but he's not like a bad fit here. Yeah. Um, he can do the things they need him to do. Yeah. And I just think he's their best pure runner. And we, we don't really know that yet. That's just kind of my estimation from you know everything I've been able to watch from Carr and Vavai over the years and even Skep now for over a year, I think that's their best runner, their, their best pure runner. And they're making him number three, but they're not playing three, right? And last year they played three. They did. Like they could do it. Yeah. Uh, 
I don't think he's a clear-cut third guy, but they kind of, I feel like, creating a big separation. I mean, there's even been a, a pretty, a pretty healthy gap between Vavai and Carr in terms of carries <laughs> through two games. Yeah, um, like we said last year, they played three pretty much, and that's kind of what I expected this year. Was I get two? You know, we were wrong. <laughs> was you know, step to kind of be that third guy. I think they would, they would go with Vavai. Like, I mean, if they were going to go two, I, I thought it'd be more 50-50 even. I'm surprised that like, Vavai's had you know, the, the feature role, basically. Yeah, I didn't. Like, I feel like going into training camp, I didn't know what would happen. Then, like, I think as I saw, even though Vavai was hurt for the first... Oh, yeah, you know, the majority after, of it. Yeah, but like at the start, it was he was getting most of those first game reps. So I yeah. think, you know, just observing off of that, like I wasn't surprised he's gotten this role that he's got now. Um, but I mean, there's 10 games, and we'll see if something changes with, you know, does step get added into that rotation, but, you know, it's hard to tell right now. Yeah, you don't think they're underutilizing him either? I mean, I think he gets some, some carries, but you say underutilized, it's like, is, is there something that can be done better than what they're doing right now? I think the running backs are playing at a really high level right now. They were really good in game one. Game two, they were not as good. They were good. I mean, Vavai, again, you like that he brings everything to the table, but he averaged 40 yards to carry. I, I don't think that that they're uh, he's playing so well that you you know you just have to play him and you can't play Steph. And I don't think they're maximizing that that room right now. Where with Devin, I don't think that like not playing Devin more was hurting the receiving core. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put it that way. But I think not you not playing Steph actually does kind of bring the strength of that that whole group that the group impact down a little bit. I think that he would elevate that group. Put it that way. For sure. Yeah. But, I mean, we'll see what happens against BYU. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking right now after practice, uh, during, during the end of practice about this game, and a final point that I wanted to mention, not to freak people out, but uh, I just remember that Boston College game uh, a few years back where they came off the big win versus Stanford, and they were propelled to a top 10 team mm-hmm. that week. I think they went up to number nine after beating Stanford, and then they go on the road and they played Boston College. And uh, you know they were in for a rude awakening, and it yeah. kind of it kind of showed you what they would be that year. And I, I'm not trying to draw every parallel to that game, but it just does feel a little bit similar, where this team came in with not the highest expectations, and then they dominated Stanford in this game. They didn't do that five years ago, but they dominate them, and now they're they're ranked. And you're looking at the schedule, you're looking ahead, and you're seeing that. Well, every game is winnable, and you know anything can happen here. And human nature, right? To to feel good about what you've done, and to to build confidence off of what you've done. And uh, I guess I w- we'll find out if uh, if Clay really has a good handle on the team. Yeah. Because I know Clay is acutely aware of these things, mm-hmm. 
and uh, he was there for Boston College and a lot of other scenarios where you know maybe they, they overlooked the team and I never really felt like throughout his tenure that was a common thread. I thought that happened a lot with Stark, but I didn't think that really happened a lot with Clay, where they were just blatantly overlooking opponents. Yeah, I think Stark even had some inexplicable losses at Washington while he was there. I, think, yeah. I feel like yeah. that was kind of a common thread with his teams. Um, in this situation, I think I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Graham Harrell believer. Um, so yeah, I think he's going to kind of... I think he's the guy who kind of keeps that fire, keeps that intensity going. Yeah. Um, so that's why I'm kind of yeah. on the side of I think they're still going to win. But yeah, I, I, ten points. Me too, me too. Uh, and go back to last year, it wasn't like they overlooked Stanford mm-hmm. or Texas uh, or Utah. Better than them. Yeah, or Utah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona State, they had to change a quarterback and, mm-hmm. and everything that came with that. So uh, they didn't. I don't think they overlooked them. Uh, and then even even Cal. There's just mistakes that you know they just. Yeah. They were outplayed. They were outcoached. Yeah. Um, it wasn't necessarily looking over, you know, those opponents. Even UCLA, they kind of came out fine. It was just a matter of you know they made too many mistakes. Yeah, they, they weren't a consistent team. Yeah. They they never put together you know three quarters. Mm-hmm. They they had maybe these good halves, but they never put together even three quarters of good play, like they did in this last game versus Stanford. Mm-hmm. So. You know, it, it hasn't been in Clay's DNA for his team to overlook opponents. Yeah, exactly. But it, but this would be the one where it, <laughs> it, if it could happen, I feel like well, because they come off a big win, they have Utah. Uh, yeah, and you almost for their sake, if they were playing BYU at a different point in the year, it might it might be better for them. All right, Antonio, I've kept you long enough. Yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a good day. It's been a good time though. Yeah, yeah, thank you. We, we did quite a few last year and uh, hope to do more with you moving forward. Uh, we'll be in Salt Lake covering this beautiful game, which uh, they're all important. Yeah. That's the fun thing about what's going on right now is that they all matter. Yeah, every game has stakes this season, uh, especially for Clay Helton. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how you know they play going forward, how they handle this road environment. and. You know, what what they look like and, you know, away from the Coliseum. Right. Well, you can find Antonio's work at The Athletic, and you can find mine at Sports Illustrated. The domain right now is mavensports.io slash USC. This is another edition of Troy Stories. Thank you for listening.